Like I said, happy Mother's Day. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, Mother's Day to me is a special, special day. Uh, the reason Mother's Day is so special to me, some of you got to meet my mother if you were here with us last year. Uh, my mother was here with us. Um, she was a part of this service. My mom has played a very crucial role in my spiritual development and my walk and understanding of who Jesus is. And so this day comes around and it's a special day because I get to honor and celebrate kind of my own, my own life in Jesus. It's also a special day because I'm now married and have four beautiful children. And I love watching my mom or excuse me, not my mom, my wife, mother, a little twisted there, uh, watching my wife, mother. And, and I just love celebrating the heart of a mother. Last night, I think I saw it in full bloom. What mom here does not lose a lot of sleep throughout their life. And I watched my oldest daughter come into the bedroom and the difference between a man and a woman, she comes in at four o'clock. I've been having a hard time sleeping the last two weeks. My allergies have been crazy. I'm coughing. And last night I went to bed saying, do I want to take NyQuil and then be groggy in the morning for church? Or do I just try and sleep through this? I chose to sleep through it, had a great night's sleep. And in comes my daughter at four o'clock in the morning. You know, the dad in me, sure, he cares. I'll pick her up. Oh, sweetie, that is so sad. Now let's go back to bed and I'll tuck you in. The mom in her, though, calls her into bed and soothes her and rubs her and talks to her. And soon I hear some giggling and some settling down. And, and then finally, they head over and head back to bed. Uh, so I'm thankful for moms. I'm thankful for the difference that moms make. If it were just dad there, uh, that would have been a different experience for my daughter. And probably the one she got was a lot more enjoyable than the one she would have gotten with me. So that said, I also understand the other thing I love about Mother's Day is this church is passionate about family. Uh, and Mother's Day and then on Father's Day gives us an opportunity to stop and talk about moms and dads and talk about family. As we talk about family, this church understands, one of the things I've seen is they understand the reality of broken family. Family breaks down, doesn't it? This church has got a great vein running through it, a real heart for sanctity of human life. We've seen a lot of adoptions come through Bethany, a lot of homes that have, we've seen the results of fatherlessness and foster care. So I also understand that when this day rolls around, it also brings with it some hurt uh, for some. Some celebrate, but some also come here. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what? Here I am an adult now, and I'm looking at my kids leave the home. And I'm looking at the reality of the weight that I have on my shoulders because I didn't do this well. And it's a sad day for you. It's a day of regret. Maybe for others of you, you're here and you're saying, this is the day that brings back to mind that I can't have biological children. Or this is the day that brings back to mind the death of my mother. Or this is the day that brings back to mind the past that I've tried so hard to put behind me with the abuse and the neglect of a sick, unhealthy mother. So we understand we take all that into play and I've been praying and wrestling through our churches for family. I want to honor and motivate mothers. I want to encourage them. I want every woman to leave here this morning excited and saying, wow, um, I want to do this thing called mothering and then speak hope into the others. So I wrestle with this and think, how do we cram that all into a message? As I was praying about it, especially here's the other thing. This day is always interesting for me because I'm a young adult man. I'm not a woman. I know some of you question this at points. I know I have lost a lot of man points through things that I've said and done. Matter of fact, some of you have full-blown revoked my man card. And so some of you question at times I'm asking, but at the end of the day, I am not, I'm not a woman. So when I sit and stand here and how do, what do I say to women, this, this thought kind of come crashing in on me over the last couple of weeks. I thought, you know what? 
let's speak to men. I am a man. I don't have a lot of points in my card. I am a man. I do promise you. So let's talk to men. Now you say, no, Adam, no, wait a minute. I came here for Mother's Day message and you're going to talk to men? Yeah, let's talk to men. I'll show you why. Turn with me to Titus, the book of Titus. If you have a Bible with you, um, you're going to find Titus about three quarters of the way back. If you're new to Christianity, you're new to the church, you're visiting today, um, the Bible is an important thing to us. To us, it's authority. It gives us direction in life. It gives us direction in understanding who God is and how we relate to him. It's one of those things that we open and we talk about, so I'd encourage you to do that with us. If you're not familiar with it, it can be a little daunting. So you're going to find the book of Titus about three quarters or more back through. If you pass through some pages, you're going to see 1 Timothy, another book called 2 Timothy. Then you're going to hit this book called Titus, or you might pass into a larger book, Hebrews, just back up a little bit. Titus chapter 2. Verse 1 comes along here in this chapter. Now, here's what you have to understand is before I read this, this, this section, this whole book is written to a man very similar to where I sit. Uh, it's written to a young pastor in his most likely, it's, it's, it's somewhere he's young. He's somewhere between 30s, maybe late, early 40s. But he's a younger guy. He's a pastor who his, his mentor, his protege, his kind of moving off the scenes. He's dying. He's, he's about ready to pass on. And his mentor, his name is Paul, says, I want the church, the local church, the church that has the message of Jesus to take that message to the world. I want it to last throughout all generations to the point where we are still today a recipient of this church. We are still here because of these faithful men. So he says, I want this to last. So here's some things I'm writing to you, Titus, so that you know how to lead this uh, thing called a church. So you get to verse one of chapter two, and here's some, so all through the book, there's instructions on what to do. And here's one of them. You must teach. He says, you got to do this. If you want to succeed, you've got to teach. It's why we do Sunday morning. We teach. It's why we do Sunday school in small groups. We want to teach what is in accord with what? Sound doctrine. Because we want a church that's going to lead. You want a church that's going to last. You want a church that's going to make a difference in your culture. Do not just wash around with the teachings that come and go, but hold on to sound, solid teaching. Now, the very next thing. I would think if I were writing, I would then go on to explain what are these sound, solid teachings. But look what the author, Paul, does. Very first thing he says, so have sound doctrine. Now, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Do you know at the end of the day what he's really saying? So if you want sound doctrine, if you want your church to last, at the end of the day, here's where you start. Teach your men to be men. Teach your men to stand up and be men. Men that love. Men that lead. Men that understand who Jesus is and live it out in a very genuine way. Now, as I think about this, I think I've, I've had all kinds of reasons. People will call me um, at times to tell me or come meet with me that they're going to leave the church. I've had that a few times happen here. I appreciate when people do it because I'm a young pastor. I'm still learning and growing. I'm still making a lot of young and dumb mistakes. And when people come to me at times and say, we're out of here, we've had enough of your young and dumb mistakes. It helps me at times, honestly, to hear them, to listen to them, to wrestle with them, to understand how could I improve? 
Got a phone call about after I was here, maybe three months from a man who calls me. And we, I've been in his home already. I've met his family. And he says to me, Adam, I'm, we are leaving the church. Okay. He didn't want to say a whole lot more. I pushed a little bit. I said, well, it would be a great gift to me if you help me understand why you're leaving the church. And now here, I heard a line then that I hear this regularly from people who have grown up in the church. I never hear it. I've never heard it to that. I'm young yet. So I've got a lot of years. I've never heard it from someone who came to know Jesus later in life and found the church in their twenties and on. Here's what I heard from him. He says, you, the church is they're not feeding me. I'm not being fed. Now I hear that regularly. What does it mean to be fed? I ask him, I say, you know, help me understand that. What does feeding look like to you? So he says, well, what it really looks like to me is to have sound doctrine, deep teaching on Sunday morning. I said, like what? What am I not teaching? It's not deep. And he says, well, he starts coming out. He wants to hear certain words and certain phrases that I've just said, you know what? I'm not going to do that because there are a lot of people that come in here that didn't grow up in the church. And so I try and use language. that's going to be at their level to help them learn and grow. So we kind of talked about that. And then he started talking about, he just started kicking all this around. So finally, I, I, I didn't take a lot from it. I hung up the phone over the year two. Now I've thought about this. And it's like, you know, what I should have said to him, I should have said to him, you know what? Do you know what your real struggle is? It's that you're not a man. And I mean this with all sincerity in my heart. Your home is a train wreck. You lead your wife so poorly. Your kids hate your guts. I've been in there. I've talked to them. I've talked with Chris, who is their youth pastor, who has listened to your children cry and weep tears over things that you have said to them. I say, you want sound doctrine? You want to be fed? There's a principle in scripture that says, sometimes you got to just step up and do it. Stop crying for more input and start wringing yourself out and live it. John chapter eight says it this way. It's a famous verse. If you've grown up in a church, you've heard this. Jesus says, if you know the truth, the truth will what? You guys know that, but you know what it says right before that? If you hold to my what? Teachings. Then it's a promise. If you do what I've told you to do, live it out. Then you will know the truth. Then you'll know the deep teachings. Then you will be set free. Great commission. Jesus gives it to us. It's a word that means it's Jesus' mission for the church when he leaves. When he goes, he says, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. What's he say then? Teaching them to what? Obey or observe all things that I have taught you to obey. At the end of the day, guys, I want to be honest. This is for women too. You want a church that's sound doctrinally? It's not about just taking in doctrinal truths. It's about learning to live them out in my day-to-day life. Now, next verse then. So men, be men. Now verse three. Likewise, he says, I'm going to teach some women some things too. There's some things that they've got to grasp about their character. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then after these older women are taught, look what the older women are to do. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands. Now verse five, I'll be honest, verse five in our American church is a hard verse to swallow. It's a bitter pill to take down for some. Verse five, I want you then to teach the younger women to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home. It's some capacity. This isn't saying women cannot work outside of the home, but what it's saying is women in our culture, your first 
primary responsibility is to see that your home is cared for. If you can do that and work, have at it. But at the end of the day, your priority, your your preeminent emphasis should be placed on the home. Now, he goes on, it gets even tougher in our culture, to be kind and to be subject. Isn't that a crazy word? When you hear the word subject, if I have a subject, what do you think of? Well, it sounds like slavery, doesn't it? I have a subject. Her name is Tanya Nagel. Man, I would not advise that on Mother's Day. That's... In fact, she's not here right now. She was in first service, so I can get away with that. <laughs> Be subject to their husbands. Now look at this final statement. There's a reason for this. It comes back to the sound doctrine. So that, what? No one will malign the word of God. This is interesting to me as I think about this. I sat here and thought about this. I thought, you know what? Instead of teaching you women how to submit, I have a personal view on that, is that if you look at this text, who is told to teach the women how to do that? Is it me? No. This text says that it's the older women that are teach the younger women how to do that. So that's my easy way out to say I'm going to dodge that bullet, and we'll talk about that another time. But the reality at the end of the day is here's what I believe is really going on here. Paul understands that Titus is a young man. Our church has seen the pain of this. You look across the American landscape in the church today, you see a lot of immoral relationships that end up happening with adultery between young pastors and other women. I think some of the reasons we miss the teaching of this passage, this teaching is have young men work with young men, have young men work with older men, have young men work with older women. Paul never says work with younger women, Adam. He says, challenge, this is why I think it's so important that we talk about female leadership. The the American church at times over the history wants to push women down. I say, women, get up and lead. It's one of the reasons I think our churches fail morally and we see pastors fall is because we don't always have the women stepping up to walk with younger women. And it puts men in my position in precarious places at times. So again, I'm going to take the pass. I'm not going to teach women to submit. But what I am going to do is I'm going to give you mothers and women in the room a real Mother's Day gift. Here's why I'm really talking to men. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to give you the gift and I'm going to teach your husbands how to live so that you want to submit. Would that be a good gift for you? You have this hard teaching of submission and you say, my goodness, if my husband would live right, I might have an easier time doing it. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk to men and we're going to say, listen, guys, live in a way so that your women want and desire and can't wait to get home to you to follow your orders. Now, it all starts with that final statement, so that the word of God will not be maligned. The marriage is a picture of the relationship that Jesus wants with every single one of you. Here's how this works. There's some of you in this church here who have been married for 50, 60 I think some of them even is there some, I think there's some in the church that have pushed 70 already or close to it. There's some here that have been married a long time. Is that right? George and Ed, how long have you guys been married? 65. There you go. Now, if you bring George and Edna up front here, so I don't, it's okay if I pick on you guys. You're sitting there with a smile too late now, right? I already got you. <laughs> if you bring George and Edna up here, one of the things I have observed in them from a distance as a pastor, as I sit with them, I see people who have lived life. 
I see people with a sweet spirit. I see people with gray hair, which the Bible says is a sign of glory. I see people who have aged. I see people, though, who are still in love with each other. I hear them tell stories of the gentleness they have towards one another. And when you bring a couple like that up, I don't care if you're a person here that hates God or you're a person here who fears God. There's one thing that is always true when you put a couple up like that or you're walking in the mall and you see it. You hear the young teenage girls say what? Oh, isn't that so sweet? Guys, let's be honest. Big, tough, macho men, don't we do the same thing? Don't we look to that and we say, that is cool. We love it in a culture that is falling apart. We're talking about homosexuality and and divorce and all the other stuff that's going on in our culture where the family's kind of crashing in. Our culture still, when they see a couple that has done life well together and they're still in love, we look at it and our hearts are moved because Jesus, because God said, I want the family, I want the husband and wife relationship to function in a way that when the world looks at it, they say there is a cool picture of the relationship Jesus wants to have with me. So when that breaks down, when that falls apart in the church, broken marriages fail to show the world the life that Jesus came to give us. The end of the day, men, can I say to you, when your marriage breaks down, you bear the brunt of this, I think. We ultimately fail to have that solid doctrine because it says we malign, we basically spit on solid doctrine. Now, some will say to me, but Adam, this is a woman's problem. Titus flat out says it, or Paul says it to Titus. He says, this is a woman. Teach the women to submit. It does, you're right. And they do have responsibility in this. I don't want to, I'm not brushing that one aside. But in my personal belief, it is first and foremost a man problem. Women were created. Please hear this. Women were created to respond. No matter what the women's lib movement tells you, women were created to respond. Just simply look at them anatomically. Now, I know there's young ears in this room, and I've got to be careful at times with what I say, and sometimes I'm not, so I'll try with this one. Think about it anatomically. When a husband and a wife come together, think about what is happening. The man moves towards her with strength. The woman receives that man into her. Women are designed from from anatomically, psychologically, spiritually to respond, to come alongside that man. At the end of the day, when you read parenting books, secular and Christian alike, what you will see consistently come up is that women, little girls, want to be protected. They want to be cared for. Women, at the end of the day, say, I want a strong man who I can lean into and I can walk through life with. Tony Evans wrote a book. If you're not familiar with Tony Evans, he's a pastor in Dallas. He's a man that I've looked to. He's passionate about the family. He just finished a new book just recently called Kingdom Man. Uh, it's put out by, I think, Focus on the Family, if you're familiar with that organization. Great book to read. But I wanna, there's a couple quotes I'm going to actually use from this this morning. But here's what how Tony Evans says it. All that the woman is doing, all she is doing is giving you, the man, feedback based on what you are giving to her. She is a mirror reflecting to you the impact and influence that you or other males have had on her. Powerful, powerful statement. He goes on to say it this way. 
He says, any man who blames his wife for the chaos in his home without simultaneously accepting responsibility for at least part of it for addressing it is publicly declaring. Now look what this says. His lack of biblical manhood. Guys, I'll be honest. I've seen at times post on Facebook bashing wives, their wives. I've sat through small groups. I've had men in my office complain and cry a blue streak about how unsubmissive their wives are, how they nag, how they, how you add the list a mile long. At the end of the day, when a man comes to me or posts it publicly without simultaneously standing up and saying, I am partially responsible. What they've really just told me is I'm a terrible leader. Virtually every adult social pathology has been linked to the fatherless or husbandless home. Even if the man is there, and if they're absent and neglectful and abusive, it's still almost every pathology comes, can be stemmed at some small trace back to that. Now, statistics, you can look at that all you want. I want to tell two stories actually to kind of capture this picture. I'm going to read some of it because it's written in a way that I think captures some of it a little better than what I can speak. So um, hang with me in this one. But here, it happened two stories on the Hudson River, the river that flows in there by New York City, splits New Jersey and uh, New York. The first one you, most of you in this room know about happened in 2009. It was during an icy, cold month of January. A plane took off, U.S. Airways Flight 1549. Not long after takeoff, birds flew into two of its engines. The whole plane shut down. Captain Chelsea B. Sollenberger, if you know his name, you probably remember this story, begins to radio back to the controls and say, we're done. We've got to, this plane's not going to make it. So they say, come on back to LaGuardia. He realizes, though, he's been flying for four decades. This plane, we don't have the time to make this thing back to LaGuardia. So he begins the process through his, he stays calm. He begins the process. What choices do we have? He says, well, there's the Hudson River. In the textbooks, we have learned how to land a plane in the Hudson River. The thing you know, it's a textbook landing that, that's going to bring that thing down safe. And he begins to process this to bring an 80-ton piece of steel down on water. Takes unbelievable skill, precise angles, and everything has to be perfect. He knows that. He knows the chances of survival are next to none. 155 people on board that plane. He says, let's ditch it in the river. He brings it down. You guys know the story. The story ends beautifully. The thing comes down, violently shakes. He gets the crew and everyone to clean out the cabin. He makes two passes back through. Is the last one off the plane as the water is reported to be up past his waist. Youngest on the plane, nine months old. All 155 people survived that trip. You saw him all over uh, the Today Show and night, night talk shows, and he was declared a hero. Now, on that very same river, something else happened just this past, a year ago, this past April. Two years after that, a 25-year-old woman, her story, she was abandoned and broken by neglect and mistreatment of consistent men, including her father, in her life. At age 15, she had her first child. A few, more, a few years later, she had three more, giving each of them as, her, as the child's middle name, that father's last name. The father never married the mother. He never stepped to the plate. He never took responsibility. He had been arrested on two occasions. One was for not paying child support. 
He was constantly delinquent, seldom paid. The second one, he was arrested when one of his children, one of those that was born to this 25-year-old mom, she left a child, a toddler, in his care, and the police came knocking on the door at 1.15 in the morning. They had found him standing in the corner of New York City, damp and wet and cold in the middle of the winter. He's arrested again. Now, neighbors and family say of this mom that she, work, she was a single mom who worked her tail off to get ahead. She had a job. She was also going to school close to full-time to try and better her life. Now, on April 2011, she posted an apology on Facebook. She then picked the phone up and called her mother. She called her grandmother and a father to say goodbye, loaded up all four kids in her van. Now, this is, a, this is a graphic story. It's a hard story. But she loads up all four kids in her van and drove them straight into the freezing waters of the Hudson River. Now, the van began to sink. The oldest, there's four kids. The oldest is 10. He worked his tail off to get a window or a door open and finally lodges himself free. As he gets out and he tells the cops, this is what he saw. I saw my mom clinging to all three kids, bringing them down with her. She said the, he said the younger kids were crying and screaming in fear. He later told police that the mom had said, if I'm going to die, you are going to die with me. Now, when the police began the investigation, they say the father of, the, of these children had shown up at the house just an hour before this incident. And he had, he had, He was pounding on the door for a a full solid half hour with threats and and screaming at the top of his lungs is the way the the tenants around said. And the tenants also said it wasn't the first altercation the couple had had. Now, no one ultimately knows what drove this, this young lady to this tragic end. But less than an hour after the father had left, the young mother of three of her, of his kids, Four total, three of those kids were dead in the Hudson River. Her children's final tears undoubtedly cried out in hopes of someone to stop the chaos in that world, and no one did. Now, her actions were horrific. There is no excuse for them. Matter of fact, I would call them monstrous, horrible things to think about. But a shared blame for a woman who takes her own life and her children's directly following a volatile situation from the father of her children also belongs to the man. Her last words where it says, if I'm going to die, you're going to die with me, is a revealing statement because it reflects the power of a man's impact for good or for bad. And then Tony Evans comments on the story by saying this, innocent children may suffer a death of their destiny, hopes, dreams, esteem, future, and possibly even their physical lives when a man's failure to rule well snuffs out the life of their mother whether that be a literal, emotional, or spiritual death. As I tell those two stories, the one thing I have learned about men, though I've lost a lot of man points in my card, the one thing I do know, I am a man, and one thing I probably seldom or a rare man in this room that will hear those two stories that will not at some capacity... Even if you're a terrible father and terrible husband, at some capacity, you don't feel some compassion towards that second story. There's seldom a man in this room that doesn't at some capacity, even if it's been repressed and pushed down, says, I relate. I want to be that hero. There's a man in this room that doesn't say, if I had to pick which one I'm going to be, I'm going to be the captain. 
Greatness is wired into a man's heart. The problem is our culture. Jesus says it's okay to be great, but being great means you serve. We've redefined the term. It says, I've called you to come. I've called you to be great. I've called you to lead a mission. I've called you to run with excellence. I've called you to do this thing well. And we know that deep down inside, there's not a man in this room that doesn't want to be significant, that doesn't want to experience great joy and just look at life and say, I want my life to matter. But at the end of the day, guys, if you want that to be the case, here's the phrase I'd throw up for you. And turn with me to Ephesians chapter five. I want to unpack this a little more. Okay, if you're in Titus, back towards the front of your Bible, just a few pages, you're going to run into the book called Ephesians. Ephesians chapter five. The way I've heard it said, I don't know who said this, so I'll just borrow it as my own thoughts, I guess. Is it the greatest gift you can give your kids on Mother's Day, men, is to love your mother well. Now, as we look at this passage in Ephesians 5, I want to broaden the spectrum here a little bit. I want to talk to the women that are in the room that are single, who maybe at this point have checked out a little bit because they've said, ah, he's talking to men. I'm single. I'm still a teenage girl. I'll move on with life. Listen well to these words if you're in that position. One of the things I've observed as a pastor as I've walked with a lot of broken marriages, next to my decision of what I do with Jesus, there is no greater decision that will determine the outcome of my life than who I marry. Even if you're a woman, a young teenage girl who with great phenomenal potential, talent and abilities that blow everyone's minds, you marry poorly, it will destroy your life. Now, there's redemption for that destroyed life, but you t- my whole heart is if you're single, listen to this passage and say, I want to find a man like this. If you're here this morning, you say, I'm widowed or divorced. You say, well, I hope to remarry. Well, that's fine. Pay attention and say, this is the kind of man I want to marry. Or if you're saying, I am, that's cool. I'm done. I'm not going to remarry then I'd encourage you to pay attention and do what Titus 2 says and walk with some younger women and help them to find a man like this. If you're a single mom here this morning, I speak to you a minute with sincerity in my heart. I don't know what brings you to that position in life. I don't know how you ended up there or a friend maybe that you have as a single mom, but can I say this? Do not neglect finding a man, even if you're not going to remarry, Finding a man like this to bring into your children's lives. It is crucial for kids today to see godly men stand up and lead. Doesn't need to be their father. They could be a mentor. Men in this room, I'd encourage some of you to look for single moms, kids that have been orphaned or fatherless or hurting or neglected and step in and play that role of a big brother and a mentor. And pour yourself in to those homes where a single mom is struggling because the man has abandoned or stepped out. So again, no matter where you're at, I encourage you to listen to this because it impacts all of us at some level. But at the end of the day, men, you're called to be responsible, dependable, take ownership to fix, solve, or simply carry the burden. And in doing, the cool thing is your wife and the mother of your children is going to find great rest. Look at me at Ephesians chapter 5. 
Verse 22. Here comes again. This wonderful teaching that we all love in America so much. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband, now this is an interesting statement. Why do you submit? Remember, it's a picture of Jesus and us, right? So it's going to draw this comparison between Jesus and us. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of what? Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to who? Christ, so also wives should submit to who? And then it slips this little tiny phrase in. I make jokes with my own wife about this. Submit in how many things? Everything. Now, we'll leave that one for the older women to teach the younger women. This verse over in 1 Corinthians 11.3, if you want to look at it maybe this week, um, out of the English Standard Version, says it this way. But I want you to understand, same writer here that wrote the book of Ephesians. I want you to understand that the head, let's go talk about what does headship mean? What does it mean to be the head of something? That, <coughs> excuse me, that the head of every man is who? Jesus. That the head of a, that the head of a wife is her what? Husband. And the head of, look at this last phrase. The head of Christ is who? The head of Christ is God. Now here's the thing. Headship. I just want to make a few statements on this. Headship is not about, please hear this. This is huge. Man, especially, listen in. Headship is not about essence or being, but it's about function. When you look at Jesus and God, those of you who've grown up and been around the church, is Jesus fully God? Absolutely. Completely. Jesus is fully God. So how is God the head of Christ? It boils down to function of carrying out the responsibilities of redeeming mankind. Let me say another one. Headship does not determine or reflect a lack of equality. Please understand this. Men, your wife is fully equal with you. Same as Jesus is fully equal with God. Now you think about Jesus. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, it's his final hours. He's about ready to die. What does he do when he talks to God as God is his head? Fully God. Jesus is fully God. He cries out to God and says, Father, if there's any other way, take what's about to happen away from me. Does he not? So what is he doing? At some level, he's acknowledging this hierarchy of structure that says, I acknowledge that to function well, we as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are going to play our roles and we're going to carry this out. But he looks to God. But here's the thing. He looks to God for guidance, provision, direction. He hangs on the cross. One of his final statements he says is, Father, as he looks down at these people, forgive them. One of the other things he says is, into your hands, I what? When he's about ready to die. I commit my spirit. As you think about this, again, you come back to headship. Here he is, fully God. Basically, he's saying, Father, I trust you, God, to cover me, to protect me. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. See, men, here's, let me be honest with you. Can I just shoot very straight? Men, so many of us miss, 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 miss what it means to be in alignment under God. And yet, and yet we will stand up and we may not say it outright, but in our heart and in our spirit, we will require that our wife be in alignment under us. 
If a man is expecting a woman to be answerable to him, be the head, she should see him modeling the exact same principle by being answerable to God's headship. This is hugely important. And here's how you tell this practically. If he is not under the leadership and guidance of the local church, which is the body and fullness of Christ, he is not modeling what he expects from you. Again, I'll let the older women wrestle with you on how to then carry that out, live that out practically. But men, if you expect your wife to submit to you, to walk along with you, learn to submit to Jesus. Tony Evans, the final quote I'll pull from his book is this. is says, I find that the problem with marriage today isn't that we have too many women who don't want to submit. The problem he would submit, he would put forward, is we have too many men who don't want to submit, meaning to Jesus Christ. Now look at verses 25. <coughs> Excuse me, and following. Again, here's where it gets tough. I'll hear, I'll, I'll talk to wives at times and they wrestle with this submission thing. At the end of the day, men, I'll tell you very honestly, what we are called to do is a whole lot harder than what the woman is called to do. Can I just talk to you men for a minute? What you are called to do is a hundred times harder than what your wife is called to do. But when you do it well, it makes her job really fun and easy in a lot of ways. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Now, how do you love them? Just as Christ loved the church. And what did he do? Gave himself up for her. At the end of the day, this is why I say it. Husbands, be the savior of your wife. Continue reading. Verse 26, why did he do it? To make her what? How did you become holy and good? I've, 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 you hopefully have heard me say this many a times. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to bring dead people to life. He came to work in you. He came to cleanse you. Look what he says. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant, beautiful church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Here's the thing. When you think about the comparison of Jesus... And I think about Jesus moving in my direction. You know, it's interesting when Jesus looks down at me, what does he, if I have not accepted Jesus yet, if I'm a sinner, if I've, Jesus looks down at me, what's the first thing he sees? You know, most people answer that, that have grown up in the church. He sees a sinner. Can I propose something to you? I don't think that's what Jesus sees and what God's, the first time God looks down at humanity, you know what he sees? He sees a person created in the image and glory of God. He looks at you. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, he still looks at you and says, there is a beautiful person. There's a person who's wired to relate to me. There is a person who's, re- who's put together in my image and my glory. And because of that is why he is willing to cross all barriers to fix the problem that he sees. So what Jesus does is he sees the beauty before he sees the problem. And because he sees the beauty, he says, I'm going to fix the problem to bring the beauty back. Man, that's what we're called to do. But most of us, when I'll be honest, my own marriage, most of us, what do we do? Oh my goodness. My wife did that again. Walk through the house and find drawers open all the time. Why can't she shut the drawers? The to-do list. I just this weekend, just this weekend, got something done. It's been on that list for a year and a half. 
right. I think I heard someone clap, right? She needs to be in here. Give me a pat in the back. And you can go on with deeper, more personal stuff that begins to figure out. So we look at our wives at times, men, and we say, what in the world is the problem? But Jesus doesn't do that. God doesn't. He looks down and says, I see because of creating the image of God, I'm going to move in their direction. I'm going to move in their direction to solve the problem, to bring them back to myself as a beautiful, beautiful people without stain or wrinkle. And he says, men, that's the role you play with your wives. Live it out, carry it out, and you set them free to submit to you. Be the savior of your wife. Now, this is something cool happens then. I would love to stop right there and say, we're all these altruistic people who say we want the best and you just cast the vision and we're going to chase it. But I think Paul understands something about most of us. At the end of the day, he understands that most of us in this room ultimately are only moved to action when we understand what's in it for who? Me. So he says, what's in it for me? Well, look at the next, look at the next verses. If you're not an altruistic man and you don't want to do this for altruistic reasons, the higher good, look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their what? As their own bodies. Interesting. He who loves his wife loves himself. Man, how many of you love yourself? Don't we all love ourselves? I'm giving my mom a Mother's Day card. Hopefully, I don't think she's here. Mom, you're not here, right? I haven't given it to her yet. On the outside, it says, Mom, I woke up this morning and looked in the mirror. And inside, it says, you did a good job. <laughs> we love ourselves. He says, we love ourselves. And he says, guess what? Have you ever heard the statement? When mama ain't happy, what? It is a biblical truth. So he says, if you can't pursue the altruistic reason of loving your wife as Christ loved the church, just realize, guys, what's in it for you. The way you handle her, you're ultimately handling yourself. If you want a happy home, if you want to enjoy life, love her like Christ loved the church. Because at the end of the day, you're taking care of yourself. So he wraps it up in the same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So many men neglect the greatest gift they have been given in life, which is their wife, and they do it to their own detriment, happiness, joy, and satisfaction. How you treat your wife is, at the end of the day, how you're treating yourself. Men, at the end of the day, the greatest gift you can give your wife, mother, of your children, is to love her well. Be her savior. Many, many tomorrows will be determined on how you live today. I want to close with a song that's going to sing. This song I ran into for the very first time. I heard it a lot. It's by Sanctus Real. And every time I hear it, I just heard it kind of in passing. And I thought it was kind of a man singing about his relationship with Jesus. And I had one of those moments. If you ever had, we call it at times at our house, a moment of intense fellowship in the marriage. Do you know what that is? Intense fellowship in your marriage. It means you just had a really nasty fight, right? But we're for each other, so we're, you know, anyway, intense fellowship. So I had one of those moments. I get up the next morning. I'm headed to, um, that afternoon, I had it, actually was responsible to take my daughter, my oldest daughter, to, to preschool in the afternoon, or uh, kindergarten. I'm driving her, and this song, as I drop her off, I'm leaving, and this song comes on the radio. This song, Lead Me, by Sanctus Real. It was the very first time, deep down in my heart, that I heard it. 
Basically, it's a man singing as though he's singing the part of his wife. Now, we're going to have some women come out and sing that part, which is kind of cool how that does that. But basically, it says this. <coughs> it says, but on the inside, <coughs> excuse me, this is the female part, the wife saying this. But on the inside, I can hear her saying, lead me with strong hands. Stand up when I can't. This is her prayer to her husband. Don't leave me hungry for love, chasing dreams. What about us? Now, at this point, when I finally connected and heard this song, and tears start coming out of my eyes, I'm like, my goodness, Adam, lead your wife. Lead your wife. She's looking to you to lead. Lead her well. He says, the wife's part goes on to sing, show me you're willing to fight that I'm still the love of your life. I know we call this our home, but I still feel alone. You know what? There are far too many women in this room who are crying out that prayer. I feel alone. I'm hurting. My husband's left me. Sure, he's still here. Sure, I still go to bed with him at night. But I'm alone because he's off chasing his dreams and has forgotten all about me. The song wraps up after some parts with the kids, and then it says this, and this is the part I want us to really kind of end with a commitment. He says, so Father, this is now the, the man singing back, so Father, give me the strength to be everything I'm called to be. It's tough. Guys, I'm not here saying this is easy. To t- die for your wife, to lay your life down is tough. Give me the strength to be everything I'm called to be, oh Father. Show me the way to lead them. And then he says this, and this is the way I love how it ends. Show me how to lead them. Won't you lead me? If I'm going to lead my wife and my kids well, I must be led well by the Spirit of God, listening to his spirit, his voice, following and chasing after Jesus Christ to the honor and glory of God. Men, the greatest gift you can give to the women in your life is lead them well. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the message of Jesus pursuing us, chasing after us. He looked down at us and he didn't see just a problem. Sure, there's a problem. It's called sin. He saw beauty. He saw the image of God stamped on every human heart and life. And he said, because of that, I've got to do something. I need to fix this problem. So he moved in our direction. He died for us. As it says in the book of Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, I was a sinner. I wasn't pretty. He moved in my direction to make me pretty. And God, then as we look at the truths of teaching here in the Bible, what it says, that is what the marriage should look like. That's what the home should be, a picture of that relationship. God, would that be true of our homes here in this Mother's Day? Would men just stand up and say, you know what? The greatest gift I can give you today, honey, is just say sorry. The greatest gift I can give you is just say, I, I commit to leading you. I'm going to walk this. I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to pick up the ball and I'm going to start playing the game that I was called to play. Give us courage as men to lead our wives and the mothers of our children well. May we not leave them alone, crying out to you, trying to figure out how to submit to a husband who is not submitted to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.